Hello, this is episode six of this podcast. This episode is titled The Russell Murders. It covers the shocking case in the UK of a mother and her two young daughters who were on their way home from school when they were all attacked by a man with a hammer. Unusually in cases like these, there is a positive story for one of the victims, although it will take many years of hard work and determination as well as rehabilitation. One victim did actually survive the murder, murderous attack that unfortunately claimed the lives of the other two victims. This crime took place on the 9th of July 1996 near the village of Chillingdon, which is in Kent, England. Lynn Russell had been walking with her two daughters, Josie and Megan, and the family dog, who was called Lucy, through the country lanes between the primary school that both girls attended and the home that they all shared together. Sean Russell completed the little family, but he was at at work at the time of the murders. It was shortly after 4pm on the 9th of July of 1996. The family and the dog were all heading home. Lynn Russell had picked the girls up from their school after they had attended a swimming gala. Lynn had taken the family dog with her so that she could have a walk. The dog was called Lucy. Lucy was quite a small dog. I'm unsure of the breed. At the time of the crimes, Lynn Russell was 45 years old, Josie Russell was 9 years old and little Megan Russell was only 6 years old. It was a lovely summer's day and the family were happy, according to witnesses that had seen them all before they had left to walk home. The family was suddenly confronted by a man and although no one can be sure exactly how everything had actually happened, what is known is that the family were all tied up The killer used bootlaces and the dog's lead. It was later determined that Lynn Russell, the mother, was the first person to be attacked. She was hit many times with a heavy hammer and when she was dead, the killer attacked Megan Russell next. Her skull was shattered by the blows from the hammer and once she was dead, he focused on Josie Russell. She was left bleeding heavily, having been severely attacked with the hammer that had now been used on all three victims. The dog was also battered with the hammer at some point. After the killer had finished, and with his clothes in all probability covered in the blood of all of his victims, he then left the scene by car. police would later find the victims whilst they were searching for them. They quickly called for an ambulance, although it seemed that all three of the victims were actually already dead. However, Josie, the nine-year-old girl, had still got a very faint pulse. She was taken to hospital and had to undergo many tests as well as an operation by neurosurgeons. And although it, it took over a year, Josie did manage to pull through and make a good recovery. Josie's father, Sean Russell, had initially been told that all three had been murdered, so it must have been a huge relief that in fact his daughter Josie at least had survived the murderous attack. The murders and the attempted murder had shocked everyone in the country. The story was in the news for a very long time and lots of police man-hours were put in to catch the clearly deranged person that had carried out such a senseless attack on an unsuspecting family. 
The police were unsure as to what the actual motive was. They thought maybe it was just a maniac that had lost control. Either way, the person had to be found as a matter of urgency before he had the chance to strike again. Despite their efforts, it would take a year before they were able to arrest someone in connection with the crimes. The suspect in question was a man named Michael Stone, who was 37 years old at the time of his arrest. He lived in Chatham, which is also in Kent. Michael Stone had been committing crimes since he was a young boy of 12. He had carried out many crimes over the years, including burglary and armed robbery. As he got older, he became more and more violent. He had also used hammers as well as crowbars during his criminal activities before as well, so there was a pattern. Michael Stone had previously been assessed by psychiatrists who had thought that he was a psychopath as well as suffering from schizophrenia. They had considered him a danger to others and had recommended that he should be in a psychiatric hospital to undergo possible treatment. However, because at the time in the UK a person could only be detained if it was considered that the patient was considered to be treatable or that a serious crime had actually taken place. Michael Stone's condition was however not considered to be treatable at the time and incredibly he was allowed to go free from the hospital. This turned out to be a disastrous decision. Michael Stone was also addicted to drugs which would obviously not helped his mental health or his physical health in any way. He mainly carried out robberies and burglaries to support his drug habit. He was also known to have targeted quiet, quiet villages and had robbed several sub-post offices in the past in very rural communities. The police only had circumstantial evidence against Michael Stone. He was, however, charged and remanded in custody until his trial. If we go back to the Russell family, Lynn Russell, the mother, was a doctor in geology. She was, however, at the time of her death, happy to stay at home and look after things there. Sean Russell, the father, was also a doctor. His PhD is in philosophy. Josie Russell, who was nine years old at the time of the brutal attack, was described as being quite outgoing and definitely the leader when it came to her relationship with her younger sister, Megan, which is quite typical with siblings. Megan Russell, who was only six years old at the time of her murder, was said to be less outgoing than her sister Josie and a quiet little girl, but she was also considered to be determined just like her mother. At the time, in 1996, when the murders and the attempted murder took place, Sean Russell worked in an office in Canterbury, which is also in Kent. Josie and Megan attended the local primary school and Nin Russell looked after the home and the animals as well as the rest of the family. The Russell family had only recently moved to Kent just a few months before the tragedy. They had previously lived in Wales. The family had moved to Kent because of Sean Russell's job. They lived in a lovely little village called Chillingdon, which is in East Kent and sits between Canterbury and Deal. They lived an idyllic life, it would seem, in a lovely cottage and gardens in a very quiet place. It was a very rural area. They also had plenty of pets, including dogs and cats. Sean Russell described later that the family would sometimes sit outside having their breakfast together with all the cats and dogs sitting around them, which sounds really lovely. 
Sean Russell comes across as a very calm and nice man. He has given a few interviews over the years and has taken part in documentaries on the case. On the day of the murders, it had started out as just a typical day. Nothing out of the ordinary, which is often the case. The attacks happened on the 9th of July of 1996, very close to where the family lived. The morning was apparently the usual rushing around, grabbing bags and other items before setting off. Sean was off to work and Josie and Megan were off to school. Sean Russell dropped the children off at their school, having first said goodbye to Lynn, who he would never see alive again. Sean remembers the girls had their swimming stuff with them when he dropped them off and he watched them both go inside, not realising that he would never see Megan again and that the next time that he would see Josie, she would be in hospital unconscious. Sean then drove the short distance to work and got on with his day. Later on, when he arrived home, he was apparently a little surprised that his family weren't there. He just thought that they were running late. Sean Russell had not initially realised that anything was wrong. He had already said to his wife that he would be working late that day. He knew that his daughters had gone to a swimming gala, so would be later than usual anyway. Also, they were due to go to Brownies at about 5pm. So when he arrived home at 7pm, he was not overly concerned that Lynn and the girls weren't there. He noticed that one of their dogs, Lucy, was not home either. Only the older dog, Jackie, greeted him when he got home. He said later that he just thought that they were running a bit late and would be dropped off by Josie's friend's mother after brownies. That was what had been planned beforehand. However, when Sean started to make some supper for everyone at about 8.30pm, he received a phone call from the mother who was supposed to be giving the family a lift to brownies. Her name was Liz and she was quite close to both Sean and Lynn Russell. Liz informed Sean that when she had called round to pick everyone up, there was no sign of it, anyone being home. She had grown concerned as the evening wore on and had not heard from Lynn. This was the point when Sean Russell realised something must have happened because it was so out of character. Although some people used mobile phones in 1996, they were not that widespread and Sean Russell said that he and Lynn did not use them. So all calls would have to be made to and from the landline. Whilst he was obviously still hoping they were all going to walk through the door with a story to tell about why they were so late, he started to phone round everyone he could think of to ask about them. Once Sean Russell realised that no one had an answer as to where his wife and daughter were, he then made the first phone call to the police. After he had raised his concerns with the police, he then contacted local hospitals to see if there had been an accident of some kind, but nothing was reported. Sean then wondered if the dog had had an accident and was having treatment somewhere at the vets and that they had all just got caught up with things and had not realised the time. Sean Russell decided to drive the known route that Lynn, Josie and Megan would have taken from the school to home. It was obviously dark at this point and he did not see anything. He had in fact driven just a few feet away from them, but they were in the bushes and not visible from the road at all. Once Sean had arrived back home again, he contacted the police again. He was apparently surprised because they were already taking the initial missing persons case seriously from when he had contacted them a few hours earlier. The police had got their search team organised and had called in the dog units as well to help with the search. 
Liz and her husband arrived at the cottage to offer support in any way that they could to Sean Russell. Unfortunately, it did not take the police long to find what they initially thought were three bodies and the dead dog. Sean Russell was informed at first that all three members of his family were dead and it was clearly murder. Sean Russell stated later that as well as being in a complete state of shock, he was absolutely devastated with what had happened. Sean's two friends suggested that he stay with them and to try and grab a couple of hours sleep before the inevitable questioning from the police. However, Sean Russell wanted to go with the police to the station to help. He still at this point thought that all three victims were dead. He travelled with the police to the station at Deal to begin with the questioning, but soon the news that one of the victims had survived came through. He rushed to the hospital, and as he stated later, he did not know which daughter had made it, but as soon as he saw the freckles on the nose of the unconscious child, he knew that it was Josie. Josie, by this stage, had already undergone emergency operation to save her life and was still unconscious. It was not known if she would pull through until much later on, but at least there was hope and she had a chance. Sean went from being totally devastated to having hope and a reason to carry on. It would take more operations and a lot of support, but Josie Russell would be a good survivor. She had, however, suffered a huge head trauma so certain things she would have to learn to do all over again with the help of many professionals as well as her father. Sean and Josie Russell would end up moving back to Wales and Sean looked after his daughter. Josie would get through her rehabilitation eventually and she even ended up going to university to study graphic design. She now sells her work for a living and has a steady boyfriend. Once the police identified Michael Stone as a suspect, they went about trying to prove the case against him. Michael Stone had apparently confessed to the murders and the attempted murder. He had told another convict whilst he was on remand. His trial on the two charges of murder and the attempted murder charge took place in 1998. He pleaded not guilty, but was ultimately found guilty by the jury. Michael Stone was largely convicted on the evidence of another criminal who claimed that Michael Stone had confessed to him. There was not any actual forensic evidence against him at all. His lawyer would take the case to the Court of Appeal and he was eventually granted a retrial. The retrial took place in February of 2001. The original confession was called into question and the informant now changed his story. However, despite everything, he was once again found guilty on all charges. Other legal avenues have been looked at regarding Michael Stone's conviction, but so far nothing has happened. He is still in prison serving his life sentences. He had received three life sentences, two for the murders and one for the attempted murder charge. In 2007, another theory and potential suspect came to light in the Russell case. A convicted serial killer called Levi Belfield had apparently made a confession which claimed that he had in fact murdered Lynn and Megan Russell and had attempted to murder Josie Russell. Levi Belfield is definitely capable of killing and has already been convicted on some very serious crimes which will mean that he will die in prison. Levi Belfield was born in 1968 he was arrested in 2004 and subsequently charged in 2006 
for the murder of a young woman called Amélie Delarange, a French lady living in England at the time. As the investigation progressed into Levi Belfield's behaviour, more charges came. He was also charged with three counts of rape. He was also charged with the murder of a young woman called Marsha MacDonald and the attempted murder of a lady called Kate Sheedy. He was found guilty of the murders and also the attempted murder charge. He was sentenced to life imprisonment with a strong recommendation that he should never be released. In 2011, Levi Belfield was also found guilty of the murder of schoolgirl Amanda Dowler, known as Millie Dowler. Despite the alleged confession, he is not considered to be a very credible suspect in the Russell murders and the police tend to believe that the right person is already in prison for the crimes. The murders and the attempted murder of the Russell family in 1996 on a lovely summer's day in rural Kent shocked the nation. It is extremely rare to have so many victims attacked in this way at one time. Hopefully Josie Russell will fulfil her potential in her chosen career of graphic design and lead a happy life despite the pain that she has had to go through. She lost her mother and her sister and came very close to death herself. She had to learn to talk again after the attack due to the head injury that she had suffered. Luckily, she has had a lot of support from her father, Sean, who lost his wife and his youngest daughter, as well as having had to see Josie suffer over the years. Their positive attitudes certainly are inspirational. A lot of people would probably have had more dark thoughts. Some people will let the hatred consume them, which is understandable in some circumstances. But if you can find the positives in any situations, it must be healthier for the victims and also for the survivors. The remaining Russell family, at least, will have their happy memories of both Lynn and Megan before they were so brutally murdered. Sean Russell has spoken about his wife and both of his daughters on a few occasions for interviews and to take part in documentaries over the years. He has praised his late wife for her positive attitude in life and the fact that if something needed doing, she would just get on and do it and not wait for somebody else to do it. His younger daughter, Megan, was only six years old at the time of her death, but he said that she was a happy child. I hope that the victims of this horrendous crime can remember the happy times, the times that they sat having breakfast in their beautiful garden with the cats and dogs around their feet. Obviously, it does sound as though they were a happy family and extremely close. When you think of the attack, it must have been awful for Lynn in particular because she would have immediately known the seriousness of the situation as it all unfolded. She would have wanted to protect her daughters as well as the little dog Lucy. It would have been hard to get away from a monster who was hell-bent on causing harm to all of you. Lynn would not have had many options available to her. Initially, she might have thought that they were going to be robbed, but clearly that was never really the case because the killer got out of his car and was already armed with a hammer. Michael Stone had probably spotted his potential victims and either with a clear mind just decided to commit murder or as some have suggested he was mentally ill and had not received the support that he should have done which left a time bomb waiting to go off. We all know that in the UK sometimes support available for people who are suffering from some form of mental illness is not always adequate. Couple that with the person not perhaps realising that they even needed help or that they just don't care about how the illness can seriously impact others. More needs to be done in this area. 
Following Michael Stone's conviction for the murder of Lynn and Megan Russell and the attempted murder of Josie Russell in 1998, an inquiry was held which looked at the care that Michael Stone had received for his drug problems as well as his mental health issues. He had at some stage apparently threatened to kill his family as well as criminal justice staff members. These threats had been made in a conversation that he had apparently had with a psychiatric nurse. This conversation had reportedly happened only five days before the murders of Lynn and Megan and the attempted murder of Josie. Although some failings were found, but basically it did not tell the whole story about why Michael Stone committed such horrendous crimes on that particular day. The mental health bill was looked at in regards to the aspects of somebody not being deemed treatable but authorities not being able to detain them, which seems a very odd law to have anyway. The Mental Health Act was updated in 2007. The updated act covers the supervised community treatments. Also, there are now more powers to enable someone to be returned to hospital for more treatment. And in some cases, patients can be forcibly medicated in order to protect themselves and the community at large. In my opinion, mental health availability is literally a bit of a lottery, if you believe what you read and see on the news anyway. Like most things though, there will always be cases that are handled wrong and a mentally ill person will sometimes still have the opportunity to cause someone's death and cause destruction to others. Michael Stone could be released in 2023 at the age of 63, but hopefully he will not be considered fit to just be left out. And why should he be released? After all, he did kill two people and attempted to murder a third. It is hard to imagine someone's life changing so suddenly and in such a brutal way. The whole Russell family had just carried out normal duties and tasks on that day in July of 1996. Nothing was out of the ordinary. The family would often walk home through the countryside. And why shouldn't they anyway? But sadly, on that particular day, there was a killer waiting for them. Thankfully, in this case, one of the victims not only survived against the odds, but she turned out to be a credit to the memories of her mother and her little sister, as well as her doting father, and rightly so. This has been a hard case to cover, especially with what happened, the brutal nature of the attacks. They were just set upon, without any warning and without any way of trying to defend themselves. A mother is not going to run off and just leave her children, and it would have been hard if not impossible to outrun a maniac intent on murder especially with a nine and a six-year-old with you credits for information contained in this podcast go to a documentary called crimes that shook britain wikipedia and the guardian newspaper group thank you